the human is someone who knows how to do right and wrong. So essentially speaking, the thing is that no other being is aware of such, you know, such a standard of life, you know, how to live life like this. So if you're saying that we humans have come from, you know, in a million forms, we have, you know, transmigrated over and over through 8.4 million species, Jurassic Lakajun. Thing is, what species exactly is it? What life form before we become humans? which ends up doing such a pure good, which it is said ultimately gets us the human life again. Hmm, interesting. So if I'm being punished by not, let's say, coming back directly as a human being immediately after I die, I'm hmm. thrown into the circle of 8.4 million, let's say, birds of different species, hmm. which species or which particular species has the capability that they could do good that I will be reborn as a human in the next life. Now, when I asked this question to a very learned admin on Facebook, the answer was that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you become an animal, you can come back as a human and suffer duk. And I said, oh, well, that's fine. But then why would a human suffer, you know, duk if human, if a human form is the most supreme form of existence? And we had this debate for a few hours, but at the end, he's uh, still to reply back. He ran for it. The biggest cop-out they have is that you look at it from an Abrahamic lens, a Western lens. That's the biggest cop-out they have. And one of the insinuations that was made or the statement was that people are very prone to criticizing Eastern philosophy, but they won't criticize Abrahamic philosophy because they would dig up their own graves. And I told the maker that, you know, come to the West and see how many atheists there are you would think that the entire West was full of graveyards then, or should be full of graveyards. Dig up their own graves, pun intended. Pun intended. Now, the issue then became down here was that, you know, Gurbani says this, Gurbani says that. So now we need to remember something down here. One of the main quandaries that is always brought up with the reincarnation debate is that how do we know it exists or it doesn't? So before getting onto the Gurbani side of things now, I sent you a little university paper that was published by two Indian uh, psychologists. They claim to be psychologists. Anyhow, this paper was never approved for any scientific, uh, I guess, scientific journal. It was just, you know, reduced to a few magazines. Reality being that uh, this paper was written as sort of a defense of reincarnation. Now, when this was actually first written, the way it was taken apart was very funny. Uh, the individual, I guess, in question, the author we are talking about is Ankur Barua, Faculty of Divinity, University of Cambridge. And what Barua does is he actually uh, quotes a few, you can say, <laughs> prominent Indian spiritualists, Parmananda, Satprakashananda, and Radhakrishnan. Now, what's very interesting is that Radhakrishnan claims the metaphysical question of the continuity of the self is not in any way affected by the discontinuity of the memory. Now, what he's trying to do here is that there's actually a scientist whose last name is given as Kaufman, and she actually, you know, pointed out the flaws in the reincarnation theory. So Barua and a few others got together and decided to, you know, battle it out with her on the, you know, academic front. We need to remember that when these uh, Indian-based personalities often go into Vesna kid academia, 
when they say they will be impartial, that is bullshit. 101% solid bullshit. Really, they're going into Western academia to lobby for their own point of view. So they aren't there really to teach or learn anything. They're just down there to, you know, sort of impose themselves on others. And we have seen that uh, this might, someone might say this is a sweeping generalization, but the cases which are coming out now, that's altogether showing us that it might not be such a generalization after all. Anyhow, the issue Kaufman brings up is that, you know, we have memory of our of the significant incidences in our life which actually, you know, direct us towards developing your character. Would you agree with that? Say that again, but uh, okay. In, oh, in, oh. in a simple words. Yep. So our childhood, our past shapes and develops our character as it is in the present, as it is today. Mm. Could be considered, yeah. Could be considered. Now, she says that reincarnation cannot be justified as being a, you know, viable uh, philosophy or even being something which is just on the grounds that we do not have any memory of what it is that actually lead us into, you know, the reincarnation cycle and the pain which it brings along with it. So what Barua does now is that uh, he decides to uh, quote Parmananda and Satprakashananda. Now, what Parmananda has to say is there is a great blessing in this forgetfulness for sometimes our past recollections prove to be most fatal to our progress. They hang over us like dark clouds overshadowing our destiny. Now, note here something. Parmananda was not able to even escape this fallacy down here is the sum, some past memories. On the other hand, however, if the supporters of reincarnation are saying you have to accept that duk, then why can't you accept the duk with the past memory? Why does it always have to be that the past memory is never there in reincarnation? So, <clears throat> moving on, because when Kaufman answered him back, he was actually on the run. So, <laughs> I'm not sure if he's still at the University of Cambridge or not. When we come to Satprakashananda, here's something. Now, listen to the contradiction here. We do not have the recollection of our childhood days even. Does it mean we did not exist as children? We are liable to forget early periods of this very life. <laughs> so what he's saying is now, no wonder we do not remember our former life or lives. And it is a great blessing. We do not. Otherwise, our present existence would have been complicated to the extreme. So now he's taking a fallacy to its highest possible end. You see, <clears throat> the last statement down here about, you know, uh, not remembering. This is where he's trying to say that if you remember, you will be stuck in the past forever. It doesn't hold valid for everyone. Secondly, about the childhood days, we do not even remember our childhood days. Yeah, sure, that's fine. But we do remember something about our childhood, which is the significant events which shaped our character today. You know, we have some recollection of those. And I'm just saying some down here because we might not have a detailed, you know, uh, recollection down here. So, for example, you know, one of my friends, he uh, got expelled from school when he was younger. He doesn't remember what the exact time was or what the day was even. He just knows that he went out there and smashed someone's nose, got expelled, and that significantly altered his life from there. But if you see how Satya Prakashananda takes this, Sat Prakashananda, you see the bastard logic going on down here that I'm going to get two contradictions, put them together, discuss them as a metaphysical uh, 
curry and serve it up to the customers to eat. Okay. Uh, this is a very old tactic. Uh, I, I'll give you another example. Yep. This example is from uh, uh, the the guy's name, Shri Shri Ravi Shankar. Yep. I think uh, it was like a short clip posted somewhere on some of the interwebs. Yep. And he said that if I if I say to you, don't follow me, hmm. and you don't follow me, you are still following me by following my order of not following me. <laughs> so basically, it's through like trying to get the last word in somehow. It's, it's not like that. The target is to confuse you to the degree where you say, it's fruitless to talk to these people and they will strut, strut away claiming victory. See, this is where Kaufman, Kaufman actually replied back to Barua and he never replied back to her. So after the Sadhprakash Ananda quote went out, this is how she dissected it anyway. She was saying that, you know, why don't we even have a recollection of these significant events down here? If we don't have a recollection of these events and we are still getting pain in life and we are being told that this is due to reincarnation, that in our past life we actually, you know, send or did something like this. Isn't that in a way injustice from, you know, God, Wahiguru, Akal, Purak, whoever you want to say it. So we'll just use God for this, you know, statement down here. Isn't that God pushing you further on down the route of transmigration while, you know, hypocritically claiming that he does not want you to go down that route? I mean, if there's a, if there is a continuity of life, if there's a continuity of deeds following you, so why is there no continuity of recollection? And if reincarnation is real, there's got to be, let's say, a hierarchy that you got to be, let's say, an insect, a dirty insect to begin with. Then you will graduate slowly towards, quote-unquote, better species. And just before you're human, you could be a very loving dog. See, a European traveler, a European missionary actually stayed among the Indians around the medieval period. And this individual's name was Albaruni, and he set up some of India's first, you know, leper colonies down there to take care of the lepers. And Albaruni left us quite a comprehensive record of what he saw ongoing in India. And this is what he had to say, that this theory of reincarnation is like this, that if someone gets leprosy, right, he must have done bad karma. If he gets healed, he must have done good karma. There's no way getting around it. However, if he's healed, he's likely to be a high caste Brahmin. If he's not healed because he's a low caste Shudra and the medical aid is denied to him. And any uh, Hindu individual or whoever believed in caste, if they met anyone like this, like a lower caste or, you know, like a leper or something, they would just run away thinking that this is bad karma in the past life. Now, According to Al-Biruni, the hypocrisy down here was that they claimed that they followed a divine God who knew everything, a divine deity, and they knew nothing what that deity knew. So how were they able to judge these parameters? And this was the very same thing which Gyani Ditsing tripped uh, Dayananda Farias Maj on, because, you know, Dayananda tried avoiding the caste debate by saying that these, uh, you know, when children are born, they show particular tendencies, and this is why we put them into separate castes. So, you know, society has a hierarchy, and we save on the, you know, educational expense. And what he didn't realize was that the British were not laughing with him. 
they were laughing at him. And again, Ditsing actually pointed out that, you know, children show a lot of tendencies, a lot of habits, a lot of characteristics. Adults do as well. We change all the time. You know, someone today is working as a carpenter. Tomorrow, they might be a soldier. Someone's working as a soldier. They might become a lawyer. A lawyer becomes a doctor. There's a lot of radical change happening anyway. So if you are saying that your initial, your ancestral society was just, then why would you have such an ossified caste system where you would actually take a child, say, okay, look, you picked up a hammer today. I think you know how to use a hammer properly. I'm going to brainwash you into becoming a carpenter for the rest of your life. You can't change. Hmm. So even Dayanand, who's seen as being the most prolific, uh, you know, religious personality in modern Hinduism, even he couldn't escape the transmigration, the reincarnation and the caste link. And this is what Kaufman has actually picked up in her thesis, which is, you know, if there's a continuity of life, if there's a continuity of deed, if there's a continuity of penalty, then why is there no continuity of recollection? Interesting questions, but you'll never get a straight answer for them. Never get a straight answer. Now, of course, it's argued that does it make sense to punish someone who has no recollection of their past sins, etc., etc. But the fact down here is we humans punish each other. Okay, so if you're a judge, I'm a criminal, I don't have a past recollection of killing someone. You're still duty bound to at least keep me away from society in case the urge or the circumstances in me take me down that track anyway. When you look at it from a divine God's, you know, perspective, if you look at from that side of things, then God has many alternatives, though, doesn't he, to re reincarnation? Allow me to understand this, this, this statement of yours. Yep. So... Essentially, what I'm saying down here is that, you know, if we we can entertain these, you know, discrepancies as humans that can we punish someone who has no recollection of their past, you know, misdeeds. Look at it from God's point of view. He can, you know, God can choose to do whatever he wants to do. You know, he has alternatives to reincarnation as well. So we are saying that our justice system today, the Judeo-Christian ethics, even our other religious justice systems are all derived from the natural laws of justice. What we believe to be fair in light of our conscience. And this, and the fundamentals of these systems are always going to be the same across religions, traditions, cultures, etc., etc. You know, if you kill someone, chances are you need to penalize the killer. That's accepted unless there are other, you know, diversifications or circumstances. We take everything into account once we start passing our judgment. <clears throat> Anyhow, we can entertain this dichotomy that he does not remember doing a crime. Do we punish him or not? Look at it from God's point of view. What reason would God have to not provide you a recollection of what you did in the past? You make a very good point here. Satya Prakash, Nanda, Parmananda, Radha Krishnan, all the logic they have brought to the fore is rubbish. 101% rubbish that, you know, it might affect your destiny, it might do this, it might do that. If you're saying that the person stuck in reincarnation, the human who is aggrieved, who is, you know, confronted with pain at each and every, uh, you know, corner of their life, they need to learn to grow and accept that pain to get out of reincarnation, then why can't they, you know, accept their past memories? Hmm. 
this quagmire, this quandary which has been thrust on the Sikhs is pretty uh, entertaining as well. It's pretty entertaining and pretty ludicrous to see that if you say Sikhi doesn't believe in reincarnation, suddenly all the <laughs> supporters of reincarnation, the dogmatic Sikhs, that's how someone described it today, they just come running and jump onto you, Abrahamic lands, Abrahamic lands, Abrahamic lands. And so when the poster was actually put up in one of the Facebook groups, one of the, <clears throat> let's just say, senior citizens, they had a lot to say about it, that, you know, Punjab is becoming Christian, Sikhs are becoming Christian. If you deny reincarnation, Abrahamic lands, we are all Vedic, blah, 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 blah. Then she heard another supporter come along. Yes, we are all Vedic, blah, 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 blah. We believe in reincarnation, blah, 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 blah. If you don't believe in re reincarnation, you're looking at it from a Western lens. And pointed out to one of them that, you know, in the West, they don't even believe in heaven and hell. You're saying if you don't believe in reincarnation, then you believe in heaven and hell. In the West, they don't believe in either. So how can you call this Western lens? And then suddenly it became, oh, no, if you die, this happens, that happens. And listen to this logic. <clears throat> listen to this one. <clears throat> if someone comes to us and says that, you know, your God can't do this, your God can't do that, our first response always is that, you know, God is beyond time and space. Is that right? Yeah, they describe <clears throat> God in scientific terms, which is exactly Western lens. Now, <clears throat> listen to this. According to them, if reincarnation does not exist, that means heaven and hell must be getting filled up. And I told this, you know, lady there, I said, oh, well, I, I see where you're coming from. But if they say, the other side says God is beyond time and space, he can do whatever he wants. He's not restricted by time and space. He can chuck how many ever people he wants in heaven and hell. Then you have to ask them a very simple question. Is there any shortage of heavenly real estate? In their mind, there is. Now, if I take that logic further, there's another video I saw recently from India and YouTube. Now, this individual in question, let's not mention his affiliation, but this man is frustrated. He's very frustrated. He wakes up frustrated in the morning. He goes to sleep frustrated in the night. He's frustrated with his kids and he's frustrated with his wife. He can't give it. He can't take it. He's frustrated. This man is the very dictionary definition of frustrated. Now, why is this man frustrated? Because he's been given a job where he's in charge of the environment. Every so often, the media, the people, the farmers, or some state minister have a go at him for not you know, doing his job properly as environmental secretary. Now, the genius has come up with a new theory Maybe it's to save his ass, or maybe it's to save his superior's ass. I do not know what the real fundamental problem is this man is facing. His logic is this, that we cannot save, you know, the environment and overpopulation is divine. Now, one of the journalists asked him, you're saying overpopulation is God's will. And he said, yes. And we can't prevent humans from, you know, uh, destroying the environment. And he said, exactly. So they said, how do you justify this? Listen to this logic. The dickhead replies that we are a nation which believes in reincarnation. The human birth is the most supreme birth. The fact that forest life, species, trees, etc. are decreasing means that they're dying and becoming humans. And because human life is supreme, we can't do anything about that. We need to let the humans grow. This means that people have good karma in their past life. 
and that Satyug is coming very soon. <laughs> what? what? I'm trying not to swear, but what? <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I have maybe back in the day, Satyug might have, you know, consisted of, you know, people sitting by a pool of water and meditating their life away and not giving a shit about the world around them until, you know, the yug started changing. But I think that the modern Satyug will consist of massive factories belching out smoke and people coughing and coughing and coughing. And by coughing, there must be, you know, according to this individual, by coughing, there must be showing signs of some divinity within them, expelling divinity. So I think the modern Satyug, like the past Satyug, you have multiple colors in the paintings, the modern Satyug, the upcoming Satyug, you might as well just paint a canvas black and that's pretty much it. Here's the modern Satyug. Well, it might be the reality we'll never know. Just nobody's seen Satyug. <clears throat> we just heard yep, about that. that. Yep. And I guess when the claim is made that Kalki Avtar is coming really soon, I guess Kalki Avtarji will not be riding on a horse or anything like that. That's all wrong. Kalki Avtarji will be a very big industrialist. And he will have a massive factory which will spread out across the world and it will bring Satyug by belching out black smoke into the atmosphere. Maybe moving to Mars is Satyug, they imagine. Now, this sort of stupid logic, now, it, it comes into Sikhs as well. <clears throat> Our historic grants, some of them have that story that Guru Gobind Singh Ji shot a rabbit dead, etc., uh, etc. Et the human soul was purified. The Nyangs even today have this theory that the goats they kill, those goats are Sikhs who have done transgressions against Amritari Mariada by accident in the past or deliberate, and they're given the janam of a goat so they can be liberated in this life by having their heads cut off. Why can't they be liberated by living a good life? The thing is, I mean, to see meat, kara, to see kalo, can it give the right logic at least? And why just a goat? Why not a cow? Why not an elephant? Because you can't chataka the elephant. <laughs> so the thing is, <clears throat> all this logic down here, convoluted logic is based on one thing alone, which is killing your brain and becoming superstitious. Now, these are only some of the fundamental problems with reincarnation. If we keep on going on about this, we might as well fill out books and episodes one after the other for the rest of our lives. <clears throat> now, the thing is, if you look at the theory of reincarnation in Gurbani reincarnation, the Eastern you know, reincarnation, I'm just boring words here, and heaven and hell in the Christian sphere, in the Abrahamic sphere, Gurbani says they're the one and the same. Because at the end of the day, when you talk about reincarnation, when you're free from the cycle of reincarnation, now you go to a state of being, which we might call Bekont. And in Bekont, like we discussed, Brahman and creation being false, Bekont is one of those highest stages where you're aware of the reality and your physical corporal being has been dissolved away. So essentially, you're a formless entity who knows that you're just a dream speck of Brahman, and now you're in a place with other such specks, and this is Bekont. And it is the closest we have to the Abrahamic heaven in Vedic Math. And in Gurbani, the term Bekont has been used interchangeably for, you know, paradise, for heaven, and for, you know, liberation from the world. 
Now, at the same time, we have the term swarg as well. It depends on the author of the particular verse. Now, Pakt Kavi writes this. And what this means is what heaven, what hell, how does it concern us? Those who seek reality bend both. Now the Guru has enlightened me, I allow neither heaven nor hell to concern me. Now, the profoundity of this verse is usually ignored by our clowns to argue that he's speaking against Abrahamic faiths. But what Bhakt Kabir really is saying is that what is Swarg? Where we have peace, where you claim there is reality and what is Narg, where you say we have pain, where you say it's all false. He's asking the purveyors of all faiths, the prophets, the founders of all faiths, that really what is heaven and what is hell? And then he's saying that I do not believe in either of those. I have synchronized myself with the truth, with the reality in this world, I have been to both. I have no concern whether I end up in heaven or whether I end up in hell. And then what's more interesting is that again, Gurbani refutes even further such, you know, impossible statements of heaven and hell. Now, there is also a thing in Abrahamic faiths and even in many Eastern faiths that hell must not be God's domain. So the contradiction here is that God throws you in hell, but hell is not made by God. God doesn't control hell. And a second God, a sub-God, or a demigod of sorts is always made in charge of hell. So, so now God we have the owner, yep. but not the operator. <laughs> yep, in a way, this is the truth. God is the owner, but not the operator. Now, here's the amazing thing. To hide the contradiction where they say God is the owner and operator of everything, except hell, they have made such stories as, you know, Satan rebel against God, Iblis rebelled against God, etc., etc., so-and-so rebelled against so-and-so. All these stories are dismissed again in Gurbani. With only one creator of reality, then who controls heaven and hell? Now, when you look at the Shabbat, it also applies to the Eastern philosophies as well, because what the Guru is asking, what Gurbani is saying down here is that, you know, if there is one creator, with only one creator of reality, then who controls heaven and who controls hell? The fact that the word reality is mentioned here, it means reality in the sense that this is it. So who controls heaven and hell? This means that those two are only illusions. That's, that's Gurbani's take on the matter. And then when we come down further, You know, where did heaven, hell, good deeds, bad deeds, the falsity of both come from? Note the falsity of both. What this really means, it's an address to all fates that you guys say that doing something is good, doing something else is bad. Where did all this come from? And this is being asked from a standpoint of an individual who confirms with the hukam, you know, who confirms with reality. Reality down here tells us that we all share a similar consciousness. We're all human and we must, you know, at least try ameliorating, alleviating each other's pain in this life.
Now, <clears throat> let me make a remark down here. We know Da Vinci and many other uh, scientists, or you can say artists like Michelangelo, they contributed an extensive amount of scientific knowledge to humanity, especially in the medical field. Now, look at it this way. In India, we never had such progress made in medieval India, or even before. Aldous Huxley, writing in 1929, noted that in India, the habit is that, you know, if the West does something, Indian scholars suddenly run, take out archaic Sanskrit texts, which they don't understand themselves, translate a few lines into English, delete the original lines from the translation so no one can catch them out, and claim that India had it before. Well, 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 you've unlocked the door, and on the other side of the door is just rotten flesh. So do you really want to go there? Well, I mean, you were telling me about Akela and how he was shouted out in uh, the UK, and we're seeing this all over the world today. You know, people, just to prove their point that our community has been persecuted, that's all right, fine, then your community has been persecuted, we admit. Reparations need to be paid, need to be made, yes, they need to be made. We need to move on, yes, we need to move on. Now, you need to realize that we were more superior than you guys were. Fine, then if you guys were more superior than us, then how come you fell below us? Well, there is something that if you say that if we were, let's say, quote-unquote superior to you and we had this, these technologies now, like 2,000 years before you even thought about them, let's say, hmm. then, then your fall from that stage of development to what you were, let's say, just what you were before the British had just arrived, that's got to be the biggest failure in the entire history of the universe. And, and, exactly, and you're proud of that? Yep. And that's exactly where Gurbani is getting it. Really what it's saying is picking apart such, you know, dichotomies and it's saying what is good and what is bad. Now, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, all these people who contributed to medical science, they did it at the risk of their life because during their lifetimes, Religion insisted that dissecting a dead cadaver, a dead corpse, was against God's laws. That was bad and it would get you to hell. And this is how, you know, humanity went into the Dark Ages. And in India, they're still in the Dark Ages, a majority of the society. And seeing all this, you know... Gurbani asks, where did heaven, hell, good deeds, bad deeds, the false city of birth come from? You know, you're saying dissecting a corpse is bad. Fine then. You're saying dissecting a corpse is bad and it gets you to hell. Okay then, where did this all come from? You know, who told you this is bad? Did God say this to you? Yep, via DM. <laughs> yep, that's the thing. And then it seems that the answer which was given was that our scriptures tell us this, our prophets tell us this. Now, one thing you will note is that many claims are made that our scriptures are self-existent. Shruti, I think the term is, or, you know, the prophet wrote our scripture directly or God wrote the scripture directly, etc., etc. Well, when we come to Gurbani, we say it's a revelation in the sense that the gurus observed Wahiguru's doings and they wrote them down. That this is how we need to live. This is how Wahiguru wants us to live. Anyhow, when even our people try, you know, when people lose a debate, when people are losing a debate, they run to the, uh, you know, shade of mysticism. 
They try making always. it out to be super mystical. You know, Patani, Badiya, always. Always. Badiya, Ramja, Rabdiya, Rabbi Jani, etc., etc. That's what I told the guy who was trying to debate me. I told him, look, don't say Rabdiya, Rabbi Jani now. And that's when you saw the attitude change suddenly to how the hell can I justify myself? Anyhow, <clears throat> this is what Gurbani has to say again. Sabke chalan kehte uha na jano be kont he kaha rahao. This is what Gurbani says. So when the answer is that we know because our prophets, our scriptures say it, Gurbani says this, everyone claims to know the way to heaven, yet in reality they know nothing. They barely know their own origins or the origin of their scriptures, yet they set and ply their false trade. Straight away, Gurbani is hitting out at the religious, you know, concept of punishment, of pleasure, etc., etc. Now, <clears throat> then again, Guru Nanak actually came into this debate, you know, around the time Kabir was the first one to talk out against reincarnation. Then we had Guru Nanak come in as well. <clears throat> and this is what Guru Nanak has to say. The Vedas falsely claim that dogmatic acts of good and bad determine heaven and hell in the next life. What is planted is reaped in the beyond. Now, our problem is we take one verse, one line from Gurbani and use that to, you know, judge the rest of Gurbani or argue our case. Reality is when we read the entire Gurbani, we keep the context of the verses in mind and something very different to what the Babas are giving us today emerges. This is what Guru Nanak is saying down here. Now there's another Shabad here as well. Jablag manbe ki as tablag You know, desire for a false heaven. That they're saying that bekunt and heaven, these concepts, these relate, these interrelated concepts of something after life are both false. This is what Gurbani is saying. It's, you know, putting them on the same path. Desire for these are false so long you won't live in reality. As long as you keep on, you know, running after moksha, bekont, heaven, etc., etc., you will never understand what reality is. Now, compare this to a story narrated in the Suraj Prakash by Santok Singh and the story runs like this that one day Guru Nanak came home his father was celebrating Shraddha Guru Nanak said that look you don't need to celebrate Shraddha now this is how cleverly the Pujari has disguised the story they knew that there would be a Sikh audience and Sikhs would react quite profusely if you know it was said that Baba Nanak said celebrate Shraddha even today, when they hold up their Sarblo Granth, where it says, you know, celebrate Shraddha, they have to give a lot of, you know, convoluted sakis that Baba Amardas said, oh, if you eat, uh, if you cook langar for the poor, then it means you're feeding the Guru and that's the real Shraddha, etc., etc. Anyhow, as Gavi Santok Singh says, Baba Nanak takes his father to Bekont or Sachkhand, and down there, his, uh, you know, <clears throat> Baba Nanak's ancestors tell Metakalu that since, you know, Baba Nanak has been born in your house, we have been liberated, and this is such a place where we do not need food. So why are we celebrating Shraddha Bolo Satanam? And our Sikhs are there shouting, Jakari, that look, we don't <coughs> celebrate Shraddha, we don't celebrate Shraddha, we are not Hindus. Subtly speaking, Santok Singh pretty much made us out to be like the Pujari, didn't he? On one hand, Gurbani is saying there is no such thing as Bekunt. So where did Baba Nanak take his father then? 
uh, rather stay silent. <laughs> rather stay silent. <clears throat> That's the thing. Now again, Surg Bas na banche, darna nark nivas, hona hai so hoi manona ki jayas. That's Gurbani again. I do not aim to reside in heaven, nor do I fear a push into hell. Whatever happens will happen. I retain faith in neither. And down here we are running around that we need to get out of reincarnation. We need to do this. We need to do that. Even when we are talking about the Shabbat spirit mentions Garbajun. Garbajun, <clears throat> let's just accept reality first of all down here that Baba Nanak, you know, there's a picture of Baba Nanak which goes around and there's a quote attributed to him that before becoming a religious uh, individual, before becoming Sikh, Hindu, Muslim, or Christian, we need to become a human. Have you seen that picture? I've seen the picture many times and that has been refuted many times, yeah. Now, the reality is that we are humans without Gyan. So if we were to become humans first, we are just animals. When we come out of the Garabajun, literally, when we are born, we are in an infantile state where we do not know the difference between right and wrong. When we are adults and we still do not know the difference between right and wrong, or we go off track, we go off the beaten path shown to us by Baba Nanak, that's called going back into Garbajun metaphorically. We reduce ourselves to a state of an infant. You know, sometimes kids know that there is something which they're doing that, you know, it's wrong, but they still keep on doing it because they think no one is seeing them. But when the consequences come to bite them back, that's similar to an adult doing all these transgressions, thinking no one sees him, but the fact is that the consequences always come back to bite them. Stealing cookies <clears throat> from the jar, is it? Pretty much. Now, there is that, you know, Shabda Rajesh, Mukaddam Kutte, Baba Nanak wrote this down, you know, and at the end, they never, you know, the Babaji's never, you know, read the end. At the end, it says that justice is delivered here in this world. When it says Satchab, Satchadarbar in Japji Sahib, it means that this is the Satchadarbar. Fine, then you might die, you know, seen as a glorious ruler. The day Aurangzeb died, people saw Guru Gobind Singh as a militant upstart. Today, look at how the world has changed. The judgment has been passed here in this world. A question. <clears throat> yes. You just mentioned the word justice. Yes. If you believe in reincarnation and you can be of any background, would that mean that you you cannot believe in any justice on on this world, in this world? Can you? <clears throat> Let me give you a short story here. There is an individual in the UK here who claims he's a last of something related to Saki. Anyhow, he was challenged to a debate where it was pointed out that societies which believe in reincarnation are always the last to, you know, pick up on the, I guess, pick up on the system of, you know, human justice, because they believe in divine justice, so they never evolve any mechanisms for judging their own, you know, individuals in this world. That's sort of a justice. Now, <clears throat> the remark down here, what's remarkable is that this individual decided to take them to court for, you know, uh, slandering him. He rang the police, sent them to their house. The cops did nothing. The courts did nothing. The case was thrown out. But the reality being is that if you believe in divine justice and then you run around trying to get justice from a human court, 
the hypocrisy is pretty big, isn't it? Back in the day, societies which believed in reincarnation, they used to turn to the priest to provide justice to them as long as they were not hampered in the next life. And the priest would take undue advantage of the situation to the point where people's virgin wives had to be left with the priest for the night. Well, that's the exact point I was trying to arrive at. If you believe in reincarnation, you cannot, if you are not a hypocrite, you cannot believe in any justice in this world. So even in the case somebody beats you up or somebody you know, robs you, you cannot lodge a, a police complaint. That's the thing. See, that, that's why today, if you look at it, the discrepancy down here is so big. The you know the chasm is so wide down here. Now, they might say to us, oh, you don't believe in reincarnation. You don't believe in Gurbani. You don't believe in you know real Sikhi. What you guys are saying means Sikhi becomes ineligible. Sikhi does not retain its standing, etc., etc. Our Babaji is right. We will beat you up. We will do this. We'll do that. But the reality down here, as you're pointing out down here, is that back in the day, we had so many Sikh warriors, so many Sikh statesmen rising up because they knew that justice was a part of this world. They believed that Wahiguru acted through the medium of mankind. Right? Today, we only have this Baba Lana, this Sad Lana. Reality being that these guys are preparing us for the next life. The guys in the past used to prepare us for this life. And Let's it's say... become... Yep. Okay, sorry. It's become if... so depressing. It's become so depressing. Listen to this last part. We actually had an idiot approach us on Twitter and tell the team that Banda Singh Bhadar was a sinner. Maharaja Ranjit Singh was a sinner. Nawab Kapoor Singh was a sinner. Everyone was a sinner. And they said, why? And he said they misinterpreted Gurbani, Khal Soini, Dazavinashi Raj, and Sachkhand. And the guys on Twitter asked that uh, this Avinashi Raj, if it said that Sachkhand is universal, and he said, yes, Sachkhand is for everyone. I mean, the thing is that they're saying that, you know, even the Chandi Diva did not happen in such kind of Well, there is an already an army there. Somebody told me <laughs> that they're 20 feet tall. <clears throat> yeah, you know, they subsist on all the oranges up there. Yep, a citrus fruit. Yep. <laughs> you know, and if, and if, yep. if, if I know correctly, oranges are not indigenous to Asia. <laughs> Correct the me thing, if I'm wrong. The thing is that people's brains have been locked up. You know, even if they run to the West and try debating with you on Discord, they still have to admit that they ran to the West because the West is much better than the East because in the West, the people unlock their brains. Now, as far as our lot is concerned, you know, sitting down there in India or even in the West down here, they know the reality is that the Westerners threw off dogmatic religion a long time ago. Most of them are atheists. They don't believe in God, etc., etc. But they made a society which these guys come running to to say, oh, we are seeking refuge. We are being persecuted. We are doing this. We are doing that. They meet a Gora. In their minds, they're actually jealous that how is it that we who believe in reincarnation, we who have faith, are the ones always ground down in the dust. And these people who have no faith, nothing, the ones who we say don't even deserve to live, 
these guys are always up high above us. Okay, uh, time for a joke. Yep. You know a comedian Jimmy Carr. Yep. You know he does a lot of one-liners and stuff. Yep. And he said that I'm not afraid of a Muslim suicide bomber. I'm afraid of a Hindu suicide bomber. Oh, yep. Because a Muslim can do it once, a Hindu can do it all over again and again because of reincarnation. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. See, <clears throat> this belief in reincarnation, we just picked apart a few of it now. But the other thing down here is, this is what Bhakt Kabir had to say to everyone who was talking about reincarnation. So there were those, what happened was he was confronted. The pundits were saying that, you know, you come back again and again. The mullahs and the Muslims were saying that you go into heaven. In a way, even they believe in a rebirth. It's more subtle than these uh, reincarnation guys. But like I said, Gurbani points out the flaws in both systems and says they're the one and the same, irrespective of what Babaji says. So for, for the Abrahamic, <clears throat> it's the afterlife. And hmm. for, let's say, the Eastern ones, it's the reincarnation. It's reincarnation. But in a way... Both are arguing that there is a continuity of life in the physical spectrum. So if, if I do good, according to the Abrahamics, uh, I can either be in heaven with God or I can I will burn in, for eternity in, in the hellfire. Yes, and there will be a tangibility. There will be a physicality. There will be an element to your existence which will allow you to feel both pain and pleasure. Okay, so realistically, they have a better sales pitch. No wonder people are converting. Our sales pitch is a bit sophisticated because our sales pitch is very complex, chucks you into you know circles, etc., etc., and then it comes down to come to my cult. We will show you how to get liberated out of reincarnation. The other guys, they're a bit more direct. They're saying that look. We will send you on a one-way ticket to this resort down here in the afterlife forever. Our guys are saying that, ah, oh, if you want to wander around, etc., etc., go do that, go do this, and then come back to us. Our lot actually squeeze the bucks out of you. The others only rob you once and rob you for an entire eternity. It's, it's, it's actually quite fascinating if, if you tell a poor guy who never <clears> even, <throat> even had a proper meal in his entire life that if you die living the way we want you to, in the afterlife, you will receive, let's say, you will have wine and women and whatnot. Would hmm. she not readily convert? <laughs> That's how they get fundamentalists. Now, <clears throat> so here's Kabir. Kabir's got the mullahs shouting at him on the one side. He's got the pandits and the Brahmins shouting him at the other side. Now, I can imagine Kabir sitting down there with a you know, smile on his face and he's thinking, just listen to this one. So he says to the pandits, he's like, okay, there is reincarnation. And they say, yes, there is reincarnation. You keep on coming back and back until you get to a point where you get to Bekunt. Turns to the mullahs. So there is an afterlife. And they say, exactly, there is an afterlife. Otherwise, you go to hell forever. And he says the only difference is the waiting time. It's like a court. In one court, <laughs> in most Eastern countries, you wait for a lifetime. In the other, you wait for a few days. And these guys are getting angry and looking at him. And then he says this. Kabir, that the human birth is priceless. It's like a fruit which falls off the tree. Once the fruit is off the tree, you cannot attach it again. Now, 
Where is there Jirasi Lakajun left? Where is there reincarnation left when we confront this? Well, these these verses and the well, they are always, let's say, for the majority of time, taken out of context. That's right. That's right. Now, when we come to the Antkal Shabd of Bhaktivedanta, it's quite long, so I won't read it out. But the fact is, this Shabbat in the West, our idiots, our clowns read it on Halloween because it says ghost. <laughs> Reality down here is that we need to look at the definition of Antkal and Gurbani. Antkal and Gurbani means your final opportunity. It does not mean your death. It means your final opportunity. Your final opportunity will end in death. You have to accept that. Antkal. Something which will eventually, you know, be extinguished, exterminated, annihilated, finished. That's Antkal. So Antkal is life in this life. If we hanker after those things which take us away from reality, we will subconscious, subconsciously imbibe the traits of animals. That's Antkal. Now, the thing is, if we take the Shabbat in a literal translation, the first thing that's said is that this Shabbat has to be translated literally. That's the reincarnation gang, which I'm you know, addressing at the moment. We take this literally, then that means Baba Nanak is not our guru. You know, Baba Nanak can't be our guru because Baba Nanak is saying, Pavan Guru Pani Pita, the wind is our guru, so why don't we go and worship the wind? Man, man, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this cannot be refuted no matter how, the, how hard they try. That's the thing. I must go out there and I must worship the wind because the wind is my guru. The wind is what's giving me my gyan. The wind is going to get me out of reincarnation. On the other hand, I should be kicking my parents out of the house or kicking myself out of their house because, you know, the earth is my mother and the father is water. You know, my father is water. So I should so actually jump. Yep. You, you, you're basically, you are a Dutch hippie who is on a quest to win to, let's say, install windmills on every single inch of soil. Pretty much. Now, if we take the Pavan Guru Pani Pita line to the max, we can also justify the mafia chucking people into the ocean because they're only sending them to their dead. <laughs> Rather than saying sleep with the fishes, they'll be saying good night, go meet Papa. Oh, okay. In the Greek mythology, who's the, who's the god of water? Is it Greek uh, or the Roman? Uh, Greek, Poseidon. Poseidon, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I think there was an emperor who, who let's say, brought an entire army to the to the beach and they tried to stab the water in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is that if it's our lot, give them a few years down the line, if these Pajari Vadi Soch, if this continues, a few years down the line, our lot will be going to the sea and uh, bowing in front of it, doing top, but the in front of it, just, just wait till what happens down here. From an ecological, environmental perspective, they'll be going straight to the divine perspective. So first thing first, Bhavan Guru Pani Pata, the Guru is wind. Well, what can I say, man? I, I can only speculate, and uh, no good things are coming to my mind even, even when I speculate. I'm no. trying hard to I'm trying hard to imagine good things or good outcomes out of this, but in, I know in reality it's not possible. And I mean, if you think about it, if the sea if the sea has you know some sentience, let's imagine it does, it's probably thinking, the hell are these clowns doing? 
So you can worship the sea, but you won't eat the fish inside the sea. On, you know, because they will say, no, that's not Prashad. Well, then they will get stuck in the debate. Is fish vegetarian? Is it the fruit of the sea or is it the meat? Should we eat it? <laughs> the thing down here is that the, the definition of Antakal is actually given in Gurbani as well. You know, Manamere Harjio Sada Samale Antakal Tera Bella Hove Sada Nebe Terenale Rahau. Now, what this Nebe Shabad means is always with you, forever with you, accompanying you. The, you know, the individual I was debating with, the Gyani I was debating with, he tried making it out to mean in the afterlife. And I told him to show me the Gurmukhi dictionary or the, you know, Gurbani dictionary, which says it is. He wasn't able to bring anything up. Anyhow, that's the definition of Antakal. And this definition is given on page, uh, on Ang Bara of Guru Granth Sahib, Ang 12. Uh, Ang 601, actually, yes, 601, my bad. Anyhow, when we take this definition and we apply it to the Pakt, Yunitar Lachan Shabad, we see what he really means is that in this life alone, you imbibe these subconscious traits. Now, I was reading an article recently, and you know, it mentioned that doctor who actually uh, studies, um, I wouldn't actually say reincarnation. That's not what I'd say. And this is uh, Dr. Tucker, who's in Virginia at the moment. So what Tucker does is that Tucker actually studies these cases where children claim they have been reincarnated from their past life. Now, people would interview, will interview Tucker, actually, and they'll claim that we are talking about reincarnation, but Tucker hasn't confirmed as much because what he said in an interview was that we are delving into the subconscious mind at the moment. So there is the conscious mind, there is the subconscious mind. These children seem to be remembering memories from the subconscious mind. But if this was a case of reincarnation, think about it. If this was a case of direct reincarnation, then A, why are these children only remembering one element? B, contrary to what it's made out to be today, they can only remember some things. They can remember a house and they can remember parents. They can't remember names. They can't remember emotions. C, these memories go out of these children by the time they're six and seven. And D, the most important of all, if this is reincarnation, then why can't these children, these children can tell you how they died, et cetera, et cetera, how the individual whose memories they have died, they can tell you how they died, what their emotions were, but why can't they tell you what happened after they died? They can't, no exceptions. So what, you know, Dr. Tucker has actually made it, and what I've been reading is that we need to rephrase some things down here. Now, <clears throat> But the Lord Chenji is telling us that we have a conscious and a subconscious mind in which we imbibe the traits of animals. We are evolved from beasts as well. That's what Garabjun means. When we are adults and we fall into the Garabjun, it does not mean Chirasi Lakhtagira. What Garabjun means is we become animals again, like the infantile animals we were on the day we were born. This means that these few exceptional cases where children have memories of someone else and them, it means that subconsciousness and consciousness must outlive the physical vessel. And sometimes these actually go into someone else. Now, as far as Tucker can attest, what he's saying is that so if there's a young child down here who remembers that, you know, 
someone died in a fiery plane crash. It must mean that the individual who died in the first place, they left an imprint on the subconscious mind. And this child has somehow managed to pick it up. But this must also mean that subconsciousness and consciousness must attach all of creation together. That's what Pakhtar Lochan is saying down here, that you will pick up these, you know, animal bestial traits in your subconsciousness. They will go into your consciousness. And from there, they will start informing your directions, your actions, your orientation. And that will mean that you become just like those animals. Now, if we take the reincarnation thing, then at the end of that line, it says, Antkal Narayan Samre, that, you know, those who, you know, remember Narayan, they are liberated. So we take the reincarnation story, the reincarnation theory, then that means that at the end, if we remember God, we won't be reincarnated. Then where does this leave all those other 1,429 pages of Gurbani? Think about I can't it. Answer that. I can't answer that. Why didn't the gurus then only give us one page of Gurbani and say, this is it? You know, why, why do we say that our gurus go from Guru Nanak to Guru Gobind Singh? Why couldn't we then say that, you know, our guru was Pakhtar Lachan straight away? He wrote these few lines. That's it. That's the meaning of our life. See, that's, that's the thing down here that these, you know, quandaries lead us into. And does Gurbani justify this? Does Gurbani justify this stance? Gurbani actually does justify this stance. The thing is, we need to remember all of Gurbani. So now Guru Granth Sahib, 1356. So what they mean, what that means is mantra down here again, we take the definition of mantra, it does not mean Vahiguru, 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 Vahiguru. What mantra means is the Guru's counsel. Again, this would make this talk very big if we start going into these individual definitions. However, what it means is they who ignore the Guru's counsel, this is what happens to them. They imbibe the behaviors of animals in this very life, in this very mind. So if we take Tucker's theory, and we also take Gurbani, Gurbani before Tucker's theory, then we need to start rephrasing our definitions. My personal belief is that the soul is the capacity for self-awareness. Everyone has that capacity, but in humans, we have it on a higher level. This much, if Atma is the capacity for self-awareness, then when we say Paramatma, Paramatma is a soul which has given us that capacity. So Paramatma's capacity has given us our capacity for self-awareness, which is the soul. Then comes sort consciousness, you know, subconsciousness and consciousness. With these two elements, we go into the mind. And through the mind, now if we have, you know how Gurbani says, apni sort karo, we need to, you know, fashion the sort. Once the sort has all these positive traits in it, not the bestial traits, which Bhagavad Lochan tells us to avoid, but all the positive traits, once those traits come into the consciousness, sort chayage, you know, sort tonchela, once they come into the sort from there, they go into the mind and the mind allows us to form those abstract you know notions which lead us to our actions and if we commit positive virtuous actions the capacity for self-awareness is increased that soul is cleaned the self-awareness emerges as being clean
So essentially what you're telling me that there's no reincarnation for gingers. <laughs> what I'm saying is there is no reincarnation. Reincarnation is mental. Now, when this reincarnation ambit was first proposed by the Vedics. Now, first thing first, whenever we talk about reincarnation, a lot will bring in Adi Shankaracharya. From somewhere, they will have to bring in Adi Shankaracharya. The fingers of Guru Nanak believed Adi Shankaracharya had something important to say, you know, important about Sikhi. He would surely have put his verses into Gurbani. The fact he didn't means we can dismiss Adi Shankaracharya out of hand. So the thing down here which we need to discuss, which we need to come down to, is the fact down here is that in Indian history and in subcontinental history, the first ones to challenge the notion of reincarnation were the Charvakas. But they were hedonists, pleasure seekers, they died out like that. Others felt that, yes, reincarnation was a mental concept, but it only existed as long as you lived in the world. So the notion of, you know, avoiding the world became very necessary to avoid reincarnation. However, Baba Nanak actually said something else. He said that subconsciousness and consciousness links us together. If we soil our consciousness, we become like animals. It's not the fault of the world. So this emerges that the Sikh view is that reincarnation is a mental process. Very well explained. Okay, now I'm going to ask you, you explain yep. the religious side of reincarnation. Hmm. I would like to take you to the political side of reincarnation. Hmm. If there is a tyrant, very easy to imagine. Yep. Would he rather have the, his population believing in reincarnation or not? He will have the public believing in reincarnation. He will have the public believing in reincarnation. And what are the reasons for it? And this would be that people are not allowed to, you know, implement progress or any change. Would you say that the belief in reincarnation prevents revolutions? Well, I mean, you have India as an example, don't you? Well, for the past 3,000 years, we have done. No revolutions, no civil war. Nothing. I mean, even in, among us Sikhs, how many revolutions have we had since we accepted this reincarnation belief? Well, that's the point. If you believe in reincarnation, there is no incentive to, to better this world. You're right. There is no incentive to better this world. Now, another thing down here regarding this reincarnation, but is that you know this is what Baba Nanak has to say. This reincarnation, as it stands today, this is what Baba Nanak is saying. The conventional reincarnation, where people believe you have Chirasi Lakajun. This reincarnation, as it is today, is a market set up by the corrupt Bajaris. Only they are true who confirm to the truth and break free of such superstitions such fertilities, such liabilities. Now, of course, many of these Babaji followers will say it's all about Anpav. Well, then if it's all about Anpav, then that means your Baba's logic of reincarnation and our logic of mental reincarnation is both the same, so you can't dismiss our one. But if it's about Anpav, through Gurbani, we can argue that your one is false altogether. Okay. Now, Let's talk about what the concept of reincarnation or the belief in reincarnation can mm. give to a person or let's say a person or society or let's say a nation, which is, let's say, not having the best of the days. Mm. 
if you look at it this way, when we die, <clears throat> the first thing first is that the way Gurbani is being interpreted today is in a lens different to Gurmat. So when we die, when the thing about Chitar Gupta comes up, Chitar Gupta is not some, you know, uh, Devta or a demigod writing down our transgressions and our actions. Chitar Gupta is our character. The Gupta, the secret character in the Chitar, the character which is actually shown to the world. Taramraj is our conscience. So when they judge us, when we are about to die, the Yamduts which come taking us, the Yamduts aren't, you know, Ravan's uh, buddies or anything. The Yamduts, our, our regrets, our brain telling us that this is what we could have done, but this is what we ended up doing. They are our failures coming to haunt us. So when we talk about the capacity for self-awareness, when this, let's just say when we're up there, our consciousness is up there and our subconsciousness, our mind, because the body has already been, you know, discarded. That's when Paramatma, the supreme, you know, the super consciousness, at judging us, decides to give us our dues. If we have done something positive, something progressive in life, this is what Baba Vasakhasing of the Gadar movement used to say. If we have done something good, if we have had that, you know, if we have done that, we are allowed to continue with our self-awareness through the subconsciousness of humanity and of creation. So we come back in the subconscious form. We inspire, we influence, we continue doing seva. If, say, there is an individual who has committed a lot of evil or an individual who has just lived, you know, who thinks they're doing good just by living, then we need to remember the Jeeva Patalatijai, that individual and the evil individual, the capacity for self-awareness is instantly extinguished. Once, the, once extinguished, <clears throat> that soul is blowing out like a candle in the wind. Now, does that make more sense? Or does this reincarnation business and this heaven and hell business make more sense? Because the way air clowns take it, they think if you don't believe in reincarnation, they have full right to say that you believe in heaven and hell, even though you don't. If I'm a person who's living a very, very miserable life, the concept of reincarnation will give me hope that there mm -hmm. is something better out there. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. You can come back a second time. It's really, it's like almost like a coward's way out. You know, like we tell the kid, oh, you need to get a little prick, but, you know, that vaccine will save you. It's like that. Oh, you just need to die. But there is reincarnation. <laughs> And that's why, you know, when someone like Dr. Karminder Singh Tillo takes to the stage, these guys are running around saying, oh, well, missionary, why are you listening to a missionary? Some pradas are made by God, etc., etc. Because when those type of people take to the stage, they bust their superstition apart in an instant. They do, they do. And they, and they, all, they always tell you to go, go, go back to do some more part and do some more dhyan and everything. Here, Baba Nanak is calling reincarnation a marketplace. Dear Kabir is saying that you only get this life once you don't come back again and again. Now, regarding this Chirasi Lakhdi Jun, it's always been used metaphorically. When they quote the Shabda Lakh Chirasi Medani, it means more than the Lakh Chirasi. 
One hand, Guru Nanak is saying Kudrat Kavan Kaha Vichar. We can't, you know, quantify or classify or categorize Kudrat. That is nature. On the other, we are saying that Baba Nanak is saying that, you know, there is Chirasi Lakajun. Contradictions in the belief, mate. But no consistency. The thing was that at that time, there was that belief that there is a Chirasi Lakajun and there was a belief in heaven and hell as it is today. The gurus just took existing, you know, metaphors, existing concepts, and reworked them to give us the message. Yep, yep. I mean, the thing is that, you know, if someone is raised in a household which believes in reincarnation, and they read Gurbani impartially through a fair mind, they will understand that they won't go through the cycle of Lakshirasi physically, <clears throat> but they will go through it mentally. The luck, Chirasi, which all other religions fear is in your mind, in your mind and even more, even more than luck, Chirasi. And here, air clowns try arguing with scientists that there are only 8.4 million life forms. Well, what can I say, mate? One of these guys who was arguing with one of our people on the forum team, this is what he had to say. <clears throat> I am a biologist. I study biology at university, but I don't believe that science knows everything. And uh, our member replied back, oh, is that right? And he said, yes. And he said, well, you're a pretty shit scientist who doesn't know that science is always progressing. It isn't static, so it wouldn't hold answers to everything. Well, if the water starts stops flowing, it will become stale and it will stink. That's, that's the thing, that's the thing. Except when they get onto the Gurdwara stage and say these things, science doesn't know anything, someone needs to confront them and tell them, well, science isn't static. It's, it's actually quite funny that they're trying to be experts in a field they know nothing about. When Gyani Thakurson came here, this is what he said. He said science has stopped at black holes, and someone asked him, well, then why don't you tell them what is in black holes? Well, if science, uh, if, if they don't support science, the very first thing they need to do is to ditch all the technology they use. That's that's exactly how Tucker has you know quantified his views, Daniel. This is how Tucker explains his views, that by no means does this mean that reincarnation exists. If reincarnation exists, then why aren't they able to say what happens after they died? I do remember uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, she, well, she and I were like going on, through a, a, a hiking tour, yeah? Hmm. And of course, when you sit for lunch and there's casual conversation and everything, and she said that she met an, 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 an uh, well, some, some different term, okay, an individual, and uh, that individual made her believe in reincarnation because nobody, nobody could become that stupid in one lifetime. <laughs> It See, must have taken at least 10 of them to, to amass that damn stupidity. So, okay, you have converted me. I believe in reincarnation now. One thing which all religions haven't been able to do is answer the problem of evil, how evil came into the world. Now, if someone says that reincarnation explains how evil came into the world and it does this effectively, then Gurbani also has a surprise for them. So what 
Gurbani is asking down here is what it's telling us is that, you know, when there was nothing, what were these so-called characters like Jitar Gupta and Taramraj doing then who you claim have existed from time immemorial? So when there was nothing, then how did these gods judge? From whence did Karams of all type arise? And then it said that we have seen your play, you the true master have created everything. Now, the thing is, we read on further, we realize there is reality and reality is hukam. Confirming to hukam and not confirming just like everything in life is a duality. Now, our idiots have gone the way of Adi Shankaracharya to say duality is bad. Of course, Adi Shankaracharya would say duality is bad because he said that good and evil attach you to this world and this world is an illusion. Duality does not mean dubida. The, dubi, the dubida of Gurbani means doubt. So two different concepts. We need to understand duality and use it as a tool. That's what Gurbani tells us. So there is ignorance of hukam. But if we did not know what ignorance of hukam is, we would not know how to, you know, uh, synchronize ourselves with hukam, with reality. So if we do not know the ignorance, what ignorance of reality is, we wouldn't know how to confirm to reality. And what Gurbani tells us is that evil, what we call evil, arises out of ignorance of reality. Right? Evil arises out of ignorance of reality. Hmm. Something to ponder upon. Now what Gurbani is saying is that if God created reincarnation, if Wahiguru created reincarnation in these Shabbats, then surely a first few humans, he must have specifically created them to do evil to start this cycle. What was the fault of those beings? Hmm. Good point. There's got to be a starting point and there's got to be an end point and you can't say that what we are today in the middle of something, that's the default position. Now, <clears throat> Professor Gurmukh Singh of the Singh Sabha actually took on a Nirmala Gyani once. And the argument was over how Guru Gobind Singh died. And you remember a few day, a few episodes back, we actually discussed this, that uh, it's said that the 10th Guru was stabbed in the stomach, but he made this an excuse to leave this world like Krishna got shot by the hunter that was Krishna's excuse of leaving. Yep, yep. Anyhow, what Professor Gurmukh Singh actually asked was that if those gods aren't free from reincarnation, you know, because it said that, you know, Ram shot Bali and then Ram was reborn as Krishna and Bali is the hunter who shot Krishna. If the gurus aren't free from it, does that mean that God isn't free from it? Heavy questions you're asking. And it's the same thing which is shown in Abrahamic faiths as well, that if there is a heaven, if there is a hell, fine, then God is beyond time and space. He can, you know, keep on extending them as much as he wants. Why does he broker the devil in hell? And why is it that he creates non-conformists as well? Why is it that you guys cannot, uh, you know, agree upon what is heaven and what is hell, what they look like, what happens down there? Why do we only have vague similarities, but there's no big detail? Vague similarities, no details, no clarity, no consistency. 
no consistency. And it's the same with their people. You know, when they say that Babaji had Darshan of Maharaj, you now they will make paintings apparently based on these Babaji's account. No one painting is the same as Dadu. Not just that, if a random person says that he, he has been visited by Jesus, how would you prove him wrong? Mm -hmm. He can't prove himself right. He just has to make a claim. How are you going to prove that Jesus has not visited him in real life or in his or her dreams? Prove him wrong. I challenge you to prove that person wrong. It can't be done. Yep. Now, I'll give you a short example from my life. I have a friend in the States who's a psychologist. He's an eminent doctor as well, neurosurgeon. And uh, <clears throat> one day I went to see the film uh, The Nun, it's based on the Conjuring universe. Anyhow, I came back that night and I sort of had a hallucination where I thought I saw a lady in red coming to, you know, eat my heart out. <laughs> so it's hard to describe this sort of experience. Now, what happened was when I rang him up the next day and we talked about it, this is what we actually, this is what I found out that, you know, the guys who made the Conjuring universe movie, they took a page out of Steven Spielberg's book. Steven Spielberg actually used to sit down among the audience and judge their psychological reactions, measure those psychological reactions before he started filming, before he started, you know, discussing how they were going to make a movie. And this paid off when he made Jurassic Park. Similar was the method uh, methodology used by, you know, if you remember him, you remember R.L. Stein and the Goosebumps books? Man, I forgot. I'm sorry. I know yeah. what, are you, what you're talking about, but I can't go into details. Yep. This is the same technique he used as well. So the conjuring guys studied psychology to see how, you know, they can affect a mental makeup through images. Now, the individual who invented the Doritos, you know, if you eat one uh, Dorito, you want to stuff all the others in your mouth, even before you swallow that first one. <laughs> He actually studied, you know, brain psychology, and he actually put a chemical in the Doritos. They actually put a chemical in the Doritos, which releases pheromones in your brain, which make you happy. So you want to eat more and more Doritos. Clever tactics. Similar was the, you know, case with the conjuring. They studied imagery, its effect on the brain. So, you know, when these movies came out, remember how people were saying they saw ghosts, they saw this, they saw that after they left the theater. It was a psychological trick being played on them. And this is what my friend told me. He said, actually, look in your past. That lady specifically couldn't have come out of nowhere. And guess what? I used to live in another city where there was an earthquake in 1930. And there was a lady in red inside that place in the theater. There was a theater going on a Sunday afternoon when the earthquake struck. And she was trampled to death inside. Then don't know who she was or where she came from. It was a port city. Maybe she had just got off a ship. Her painting was actually put up. Her picture was put up in the theater. It was rebuilt. It's still there today if anyone knows who she is. I used to see that picture every day when I used to walk past it. And that's how my brain played the trick on me. So the catalyst was the movie, the movie's imagery. And... It awoke my imagination, and my imagination formed such a discursive picture. My brain was not in my control when that happened. 
you missed a golden opportunity to become a baba right there. <laughs> and <clears throat> so what happened the next day was that, you know, when I told my mother and um, she actually uh, looked at my YouTube history. Now, you remember uh, back in the day Z had a TV show, Unhorny? <laughs> Man, what the hell? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> there was a part about the Indian vampires where uh, he's a, you know, photographer and he meets a pretty uh, beautiful model and he starts taking pictures and uh, they invite him to their house and he gets his hand injured and they suck the blood out of it. He runs away and then he sees that she's a vampire. Indian dollar store vampires, yeah. Yep. Anyway, hey, it was scary at the time. Anyway, when my mother pointed that out to me that maybe this was the lady, you know, a beautiful lady who's a monster my brain started rebelling against me and three days later the lady in the red her facial features were replaced by this other lady somebody must have given you punk man that's the only explanation i can come up with <laughs> what i'm saying is that the brain <clears throat> we need to untap it only then we can say that you know <clears throat> we are in control of our brains that's what gurbani tells us be in control of yourself be in control of your brain so if it's easy for us to be misled like that, if it's easy for us to see that, if these sort of hallucinations, these things, <clears throat> imagine how easy it would be for us to, you know, become like animals. Hmm. <clears throat> Regarding those kids who took our studies, we must leave some strong subconscious presence which these kids can pick up on. <clears throat> I th I th uh, there might be... Well, I don't know if this part has been studied yet or not, but I think where your memories come from, can they come come, come from the genes of your parents? Can they? It can be. It can be. It can be. This is just something we're beginning to study at the moment. Science will unlock this as well. Human progress will not be impeded. But that's what I'm saying. The way Gurbani has fashioned us Sikhs, we should be at the forefront of unlocking these discoveries. Well, we should. Realistically, we could say that uh, biology, we could say, has been around for maximum of 200 years, I would say. Mm. And I'm being general. Mm. Because today, with let's say, with the gift of physics or mathematics or chemistry or all those technologies, we ha actually have the tools and machines that we can use to study the human brain or let's say the human body or let's say biology in general. Mm. You couldn't study bi biology properly without... <clears throat> invention of the microscope hmm. yeah you know what i mean yes yes yeah so yeah uh, these things might be answered let's say in the, in the in the next hundred years or so maybe before maybe maybe later we don't know but we gotta give science let's say at least half a millennium or something because religion has been around for the past let's say five thousand years or so maybe even more hmm. i mean <clears throat> The thing being, there must be a collective subconsciousness somewhere which we can tap into. Once we can tap into that, our brains probably store that so we can experience what someone else experienced. This is what actually unites us, this tendency towards empathy. This is actually what makes us human. So when all these facts are being laid crystal clear by Gurbani, why we still go and believe in, you know, atrophied theories like, you know, Chirasi Lakchun and reincarnation is beyond me. Well, it just makes you feel better. Why we That's believe in heaven and hell is beyond me. Well, it just makes you feel better. 
that there's actually uh, okay, a quote from a movie that I saw many years ago. Hmm. The movie is The Town, Ben, ben Affleck and yes. Jeremy Renner. Hmm. <clears throat> so Ben Affleck and all his friends live in Charlestown. I think it's, it was in Boston. Hmm. And uh, they're all, let's say, professional bank robbers. Yep. And he, even his, his own father was a bank robber. Yep. And uh, he, he, uh, at the end of the movie, he repeats a quote from his father. And he's actually, uh, uh, oh, he, it's like uh, a rendition of a letter he wrote to his love interest. Yep. And he says that, I'll see you again, this side or the other. Yep. So he's got the police chasing him, the FBI chasing him, some other gangs chasing him. So it just gives him a hope. No? A glimpse yeah. of hope that I'll see you again, this side of the other. If there is no heaven and hell, if there is no reincarnation, then doesn't it make martyrdom a much more priceless act? Well, well, well. <laughs> You're setting up for something, eh? Okay, so legend has it that during the battle for Texas independence, Colonel William B. Travis pulled out his saber and drew a line in the sand at the feet of the men defending the Alamo. He told the men that their death at the hands of Mexican General Santana Ana's army was almost certain. Any men wishing to leave the fort could do so, but those who wanted to stay and fight should take one step forward, one step over the line in the sand. You know, while people might debate the righteousness of the battle, at the end of the day, Travis changed history. On the other hand, Baba Deep Singh and the Shi, Dimasal is standing down there at Amritsar in Taran Taran. He draws that line in the sand. They decide to march over and battle the Afghans, kick them out of their Barsad, if not Amritsar, and they push them to the fringes of Amritsar, you know. But the thing is, those men, those warriors, they knew there was no heaven and hell. They knew there was no such thing as reincarnation, especially the Sikhs. The others, there might have been some Christians on Travis' side. The thing down here is, the thing you need to think about, the thing you need to consider down here is the fact that at the end of the day, at the end of the day down there, if you don't know what the great beyond is, then it makes martyrdom all the more compulsive on you because you are saying, I'm going to forfeit everything I have, all the tools I've been given by a divine presence to live my life, just so that you don't impose on me. Hmm. It's got to be the most unselfish mm. act out there. That's the thing. So to wrap it up, there is no heaven and hell. There is no reincarnation. If anything, it's only a mental process. If you were to, let's say, hypothetically, if you were to reincarnate yourself as some other person, who would you come back as? Me? I would try coming yeah. back as a Babaji. You'll probably die, die of arthritis and, let's say, diabetes before you're 50. Yeah, gout. <laughs> You'll be walking around like a lame duck with bent <laughs> knees. Anyway, that's all for today. Thank you for joining us. Vaheguruji ka khalsa. Vaheguruji ki fateh.